0: This is an email letter which will land in your inbox on Fridays sharing five of my favourite cultural or creative discoveries of the week. You'll find all that on lexonthedex.substack.com. Thank you and I hope you enjoy this episode of Hot Girls. and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the Decks. For this week's episode, I'm going to be exploring the life and legacy of American artist Gwen Stefani. I've chosen Gwen not because she has the hair that I most aspire to, although she does, but primarily because both through her work with No Doubt and also as a soloist, she's been heavily influenced by Jamaican music and you wouldn't necessarily know that immediately when thinking about her. I think she tends to be more associated with punk and uh, rock but she had a massive impact on culture when she was releasing solo albums and she's also managed to have longevity as an artist which is actually one of the hardest things to achieve as a musician people can love you for a moment and then forget about you very quickly so i think she's a fascinating artist to learn from very ambitious and very recognizable and i found it fascinating how her personal and her professional life have interwoven in many ways which i will obviously explain to you so it's an interesting story and i hope you enjoy before we get stuck into Gwenny Gwen Gwen, I wanted to just say thank you very much for tuning in. This is our third month of being live and the response has been amazing, uh, particularly in the past few weeks. So thank you for backing the movement. Please do tweet us at Lex on the Dex, Lex with an X, Dex with a C-K-S. And let us know which artists have inspired you and who you'd like to learn about. And if there are women working in music that you'd love to hear interviewed, then let us know and we will see what we can do. Okay, Gwen Stefani, let's go. Ladies, gentlemen, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls with Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. We going. We on fire from London for the world. Let's go in. On October the third, nineteen sixty nine, Dennis and Patty Stefani had a little baby girl who they named Gwen. Yes, Gwen Stefani is her actual name, which is a first for this podcast series. She grew up in Orange County with her parents, her older brother Eric, and younger siblings Jill and Todd. Her dad worked in marketing at Yamaha, so was obviously a musical guy, but it was really Gwen's brother Eric who introduced her to music in a creative way. When she was about 13, Eric came home one day with a record by the British band Madness, who were from Camden in North London, and their biggest hits included like um, House of Fun, and baggy trousers and our house, you know? um, I'm hoping people are uh, hearing it in their head. It was playful underground music that blew up, really. And Gwen talks about that as being a real trigger moment for them as a pair because it introduced them to ska music. You don't hear so much about ska these days, uh, spelled S-K-A, but it was a genre that actually came out of Jamaica and was then picked up by punk bands in the States and the UK. So it became this kind of playful sound, which is somewhere right between reggae and R&B and rock music without being pop, distinguished by kind of having quite a heavy horn section. And so inspired by this music, when Gwen was 16 slash 17, sort of around that age, she started singing as part of a band her brother Eric wanted to form called No Doubt. And that was in 1986. We're always satisfied with what we were doing because um, we always had people come to our shows and it was on a small scale, but it was, you know, we just never really expected more than that. Well, they ended up releasing six studio albums and selling 30 million copies to date. But let's not skip ahead. I want to pause on that clip of Gwen Stevani talking because it's important for where No Doubt came from and what their intention was, which was to make music they liked and to put on shows that they liked. Simple mission accomplished. Uh, for the first four years of being together as a band, a band which did see a few iterations, but Gwen was consistently a singer. They were unsigned and they basically paid for everything themselves at the start. So they split the costs of rehearsal studios and the other overheads, which they paid for through other jobs. They also played often in the Stefani's Garage, like a real American high school movie. After this process had been going on for a while, they ended up getting signed in 1991 to the record label Interscope and released a debut album, No Doubt, very inventive naming there, uh, in 1992. At this point, the band consisted of eight members, so at this point when they first got signed. So it was Eric, Gwen, Tony on bass, who you'll hear a lot more about, and Tom on guitar. Tony, the bass player, was Gwen's first boyfriend and first love, and they were together for the band's first two albums, No Doubt, and The Beacon Street Collection, which was the name of the second album. Eric wrote most of the material for these albums and was definitely seen as the leader of the group at this time. Um, it really was his idea. These first two albums were okay. The band had a good sound. It was like quite distinguished, but they didn't see any real critical success. Possibly because none of the songs were were particularly distinctive enough. I think when you listen through, it's like there's nothing, There's no one that really jumps out that you could market, or the, the, the label definitely felt this way, and I kind of agree, um, that it could be marketed as a single. So actually, no doubt, pay, ended up paying for their own video to be made for the song Trapped in a Box, which was one of the earliest uh, singles from the album. They pulled together and invested 5 grand roughly and that video got some local airplay in orange county but it, it was never aired on MTV or VH1 were like which were kind of the that was like how you got made at that time it's like being played on radio your video was played on MTV and then you were bigger kind of thing the second album sold three times as much as the first so they had seen they did see some good progress in that period of time and obviously some growth and exposure so well done guys But it was actually released by No Doubt on their own label, as Interscope weren't really interested in releasing that album. They played it to them and the the label were like, nah, it's not good enough. So having been signed by Interscope and then had these two two albums out that didn't do very well, they then got passed from that label Interscope into a side label under them called Trauma. And as a band, I think because their sound was distinctive, but also kind of category like defining it was like ska music in a period of time where harder rock music was more popular so i say category defining but i suppose really mean like it it kind of sat on its own you couldn't really box it gwen being the lead vocalist was a big part of that as well i think her sound is very distinctive so what made them special also made them difficult from a management point of view because their trajectory wasn't very clear everyone liked them but you couldn't look at another group. There was no group like them. So you couldn't say, oh, we're going to, we're going to, you're going to be the next, you know. And that's easier for people to follow and see the success of. Then something happened which would forever change the fortunes of both Gwen Stefani's personal life and her bank account. Cha-ching! Tony, bass player Tony, broke up with her. After seven years together, he decided it was not to be. And he just totally broke her heart. Uh, Hence the name of the band's third album, The Tragic Kingdom. So when they started the process of making this album, Eric, Gwen's brother, was struggling with managing the creative input of label producers and other people. Gwen, who'd never really written music before, except for supporting with the process of the other records, all of a sudden started writing these incredible songs... You know, take yourself to that place of heartbreak and that pain. It's incredibly intense. And she was so emotional and she had so much to process that the song lyrics were really just like the outpouring of human emotion. Sorry, I think my jaw just clicked. Um, <laughs> unsurprisingly, really writing from that place delivered much more successful songs. The hero song of the Tragic Kingdom album was Don't Speak, which is a total processing of being dumped essentially and not wanting to know not wanting it to happen that song gwen wrote when she was at tony's house and it totally changed the fortunes of no doubt and this is in 1996 so obviously they've been together for kind of coming up to a decade at this point it went to number one on the Billboard chart, and it stayed there for 16 weeks. Uh, That's Don't Speak, not the album. That single did, which was a record at the time. So, wow. Okay, good things can come from heartbreak, if you're a writer. You would go back to the room so emotionally, physically, spiritually, like everything was drained. It was brutal. I, I, you know, I look back on it now, but we got through it. Other key singles from that album included Just A Girl and also Happy Now. And Just A Girl, again, you can kind of see that processing for Gwen Stefani of what she was going through emotionally so I mentioned that Eric was struggling a bit with the changes creatively and actually like in the middle of the production of this album the tragic kingdom he left the band and he just was just no longer enjoying you know what it had become and the input of so many people on the process also let's be real it must have been quite intense spending all your time with her your sister and her ex-boyfriend who were still kind of in love and kind of singing at each other so where did Eric go I hear you cry Well, to The Simpsons, where he worked as an animator. So, you know, he did all right. Off the back of the success of the Tragic Kingdom album, No Doubt went on tour with the rock band Bush. They were supporting them. Uh, Bush were much bigger than them at that time. And a few weeks into the tour, the lead singers of the tour band started making out. And that was how Gwen Stefani met her first husband, Gavin Rossdale. They ended up touring uh, for two and a half years, so it was much longer than anticipated. But the band also became much more popular than anyone had expected. Uh, They actually had a few issues with the labels because Interscope, I think, were all of a sudden like, "Eh, yeah, we want a little bit more of them after kind of palming them off. So don't underestimate Gwen Stefani. That's all I'm going to say. So Gwen Stefani is now famous and rich and 29. And I love this clip of her talking about that transition period of her life and what she spent her money on. <laughs> yeah, that's why, you know what I'm saying? And the braces were like me coming home and being like, you see this money I got? Boom, I'm getting braces, finally, ha ha. Return to Assassin was the band's fourth album, the follow-up to Tragic Kingdom, and it featured the single's ex-girlfriend, Banger, and Simple Kind of Life, which has the classic video of Gwen as a runaway bride. The video is quite similar to Katy Perry's Hot and Cold video, so I feel like maybe Katy Perry was inspired by that. Actually, also quite a few parallels between the artists, just in the way that the theatrics, but we'll talk about that later. But when she wrote a lot of this material, she was in a back and forth with Gavin Rossdale, making sense of that relationship, which became long distance when they stopped touring together and were touring separately. And then she was still spending most of her time with her ex-boyfriend, Tony. And as she said, way beyond that and those relationships, the complexities of growing up on tour, you know, it's like they had this sudden success, but with that comes instability in your life. And this album and phase to me is more, it's more like rock ballads. You have the close-ups of the guy with his guitar, etc. Whereas their next album that followed after was... A bit more magical, I think, because it brilliantly blended other genres of music into their style of music. And that album, the, which was their fifth album, so, I mean, they they released a lot of music, was called Rock Steady. And I think, definitely for me, this is No Doubt's golden album. The cover was the red, white and black with the lyrics all over it. It's quite um, distinctive. Uh, and it was released in 2001. Gwen Stefani is so powerful in that album, and at that time, it was as though she'd found this new sense of self-assuredness. Rolling Stone included Rocksteady in its list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. It definitely comes from a band that knows who they are, and while all the band members were very important, Gwen was the front woman, and she was the lead writer. The sounds of the album came from a few different things, but when they were on tour with the previous album, Return to Saturn, they would like rock out to that on stage... And then they would throw after-parties, and at the after-parties they would be playing dancehall. So, for anyone who isn't familiar um, with the word dancehall, it's a branch of reggae music. Artists like Sean Paul and Beanie Man, um, even Toast by Coffee of the Newer staff, or Dude, <laughs> um, or even like No Games by Serrani, a club classic. Those are all versions of dancehall music. I did one of these episodes on Spice who is a key artist in that genre. So if you're interested, uh, listen to that or her music. But the song Underneath It All from the Roxsetti album, uh, their fifth album, is this so distinctively and it features Lady Saw who was also a really popular dancehall artist at the time. So if you listen to Underneath It All and you you kind of hear like the rhythm structure of that, that's that stance, that's very dancehall inspired. It was during the development of this album that Gwen linked up with someone who would be another key influence in her musical life, Mr. Pharrell Williams of the Neptunes. They'd both been enjoying each other from afar, and then when they slinked past in the MTV studios, she had something very specific in mind that she wanted his input in. So just a call out on networking here. Gwen Stefani could very quickly say to Pharrell, here's something for you to look at. And then they started building a relationship from there. The song that came out of her bringing him in was hella good. The other really big track from the album was, of course, the iconic Hey Baby. Around this time, Gwen also started recording bits as a solo artist outside of No Doubt. The first big example of this, this kind of solo uh, piece, was the 2001 single Let Me Blow Your Mind. It was a song by the rapper Eve, Eve Eve, and Gwen was invited to do the hook in a stroke of genius. That's one of those songs that has definitely stood the test of time. She was invited to do The Hook by Dr. Dre, who she'd been a longtime fan of, mainly as a producer. And she's basically been like, um, if guys, if, if Dre's doing anything, like, I'm in. So great timing also to work with Eve because it was the same year that Eve released Who's That Girl, which was kind of one of her like really big iconic tracks. Really nicely, I saw that Eve and Gwen Stefani went on tour together over 10 years later. So it's really nice that the songs that they made together solidified a nice musical bond and that fans would still be excited many years later. I know I would be super excited to see those two perform live together. So a combination of these bits of solo work, her evolution as a person... And I think the relationships and inspiration she'd been working on, you know, with producers like Pharrell led to her decision to create and release a solo album. The writing process took quite a while as she had a little baby during it. So she paused the release and finishing process. About two and a half months after her little one was born, she went back in to finish the album. From the outside, releasing a solo album might seem like an obvious step for an ambitious artist, but in reality, I can imagine it must be quite scary She knew how to work with No Doubt and make that successful, but imagine if she released her solo album and it flopped. It would be super orcs. So she went into the process of that album just really clear and specific about what she wanted to create. And actually, she said that if she hadn't met her expectations, she would never have released it. Working very closely with the Neptunes, the album was released in 2004, and it couldn't really have done a lot better. Uh, It went triple platinum in the US, the UK, and it went quadruple plat- platinum in Australia. And platinum is like how the volume of records that you sell, basically. The launch single, What you Waiting For, which is the tick-tock, tick-tock, <laughs> you know. I, I want to share some of the lyrics because I listened to them for this. And wow, she really lets it into her mind. So firstly, she's having this back and forth. And the lyrics are, naturally, I'm worried if I do it alone. And then the other voice. Who really cares? Because it's your life. You never know. It could be great. Take a chance because you might grow, which I think is a really nice kind of call out to that process of going from being in a band and it being quite scary and then having to do it by yourself. But the fact that if you don't take a chance in life, then you'll never know what you could have gained from it. And then later on in the song, it goes, your moment will run out because of your sex chromosome. I know it's so messed up how our society all thinks. A.K.A. if you don't get a move on, people will think you're too old to release a solo album because you're a woman and therefore you're only hot when you're young. And I will say Gwen, as well as lots of other artists, are continuously proving that ageism is just really backwards and misguided. Uh, So many artists release better music later in life because they've evolved as a person and they've had the time to work on their skills. So, yeah, I mean... Really like the fact that she called out that that was a reality, but also really like the fact that she's proven that it's stupid. Um, Anyway, being that deliberate as she was in the creative process led to an album which had lots of hits. As well as What You Waiting For, there was Rich Girl featuring Eve and Back Girl with the inspired line, this shit is bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-N-S. I (laughs) might have added an extra A in there. Not as deep as some of her other songs. And then she also had the happy ballad, cool, which I love. And also luxurious. Just a good song. Tony, her ex, Tony Canal, and the bass player of No Doubt was really involved in the writing process. So quite amazing how that relationship evolved and remained special in both of their lives. Another thing I want to highlight was how seriously Gwen Stefani understood the difference between what is expected of you as a performer when you're a solo artist versus in a band. So if you think she'd been on tour and done most of her musical life and she had people to interact with on the stage, she had a guitar player, a bass player, um, she bounced around the stage, but so would they. And what's expect- expected of a concert is like, it's a certain amount of energy, but, you, but it's not as theatrical. And then all of a sudden she's a solo artist and you have the same size stage to fill, but it's just you that's filling it versus like you and eight bandmates and when you're making you know pop and more mainstream music people want dance they want theater they want costumes and I think Gwen Stefani knew that and she covered all of that she you know if you think about the different avenues that she could have taken if she'd just been her but without the band but still performed in the same way probably wouldn't have had anything like the impact that she did so just a call out and particularly for people who maybe are, are looking at that difference i cannot talk about that album and Gwen Stefani in general in this period without talking about her muse which was the Harajuku girls. Gwen was so theatrical as i said in this album launch and she was constantly accompanied by four japanese girls. i don't know whether it would be seen as cultural appropriation nowadays but she was she was totally celebrating the style they created and bringing it to the western world. So maybe not. i found an article on no doubt from 1997 so years and years before before this in which Gwen references herself as the one who grew up liking makeup and the sound of music and pretty clothes and girly hairstyles, which I found amazing when you think about what she went on to do with Lamb and her second album as a solo artist, in which she remade the music from The Sound of Music and also she lived out this dress-up fantasy. So she created something from visions that she'd had for years and as a child. And I love that. I think it's really beautiful to see someone be able to create things that were dreams. Uh, She also launched a clothing line called Lamb off the back of the success of that album. So she, she went into other avenues as well. The second album that she released as Gwen Stefani came more because she had leftover songs and inspiration from the first, which I think just went a lot better than she had hoped for or maybe expected. You know, you always hope for success, but who knows? So... Wind It Up sampled a famous song from The Sound of Music, which, as I said, was a film that Gwen absolutely loved. And then there was the song Sweet Escape with Akon, uh, which you might not have heard in a while. And if you listen, I'm sure will give you some serious nostalgia. Uh, It still bangs, in my humble opinion. And then also Yummy's a good song. uh, So I would recommend giving that a listen again. She went on a huge worldwide tour off the back of the album. Critics slated the album And to that end, critics don't really matter that much. A writer wrote in the review, An Enemy, that the album was this year's bargain bin fodder, and that the majority of this record serves only to bury what Gwen Stefani made unique in the first place. But critics do tend to go off things when they become popular partly probably because the style evolves and it's probably as a genuine tasting, but also I think just because they're more interested in in Up and Coming and Underground. So you can't really take the positive or the negative reviews too seriously. Since that second album in 2006 to 2008, Gwen hasn't released an album as a solo artist. Um, No doubt, she has released uh, singles though, but no doubt reformed. So that was her next musical output when they had their reunion, Stefani was 42. So just a bit of a like point back to the ageism. I mean, she still looks insane. She still looks about 25. So I want to know what she's eating. But that reunion album was Push and Shove and it contained one of my favourite songs of all time and I think is one of the most underrated songs. I've never heard anyone talk about it and I don't know why. Maybe it isn't good, I don't know. It was a collaboration with Major Lazer, who also have been really influential in bringing Jamaica music to the world. And the song is called Push and Shove. The album is also called Push and Shove. The music video is underwhelming. I will say that. It's just boring. But if you're listening and you like the song Push and Shove, can you please tweet or email me? Because I really want to know. I want to know that I'm not alone here. Other songs I recommend from that Reunion album are Settle Down, uh, which was pretty popular, and Looking Hot. And there's also a good remix of Looking Hot by the uh, electronic producer Rehab. Uh, Rehab with a three instead of an E. So maybe check that one out as well. In 2015, so I told you that Gwen Stefani had like an extensive library. She really has not stopped. In 2015, she started New Musical Chapter as one of the judges on The Voice in the US. As had previously happened in her life, the same year that saw a big career move also saw a big personal move. In February of that year, the same year she started on The Voice, her husband of 14 years and the father of her three children, Gavin Rossdale, seemingly forgot he was married to Gwen Stefani or something because he did a Jude Law. Stefani discovered that he had been having an affair with their nanny. In an interview with Harper's Bazaar, she describes that discovery as the beginning of hell. She said my dreams were shattered. All I wanted my whole life was to have babies be married, like what my parents have. Mindy had been working with them since 2008. So yeah, it was no it was no one off, really just like heart wrenching shit. And no disrespect to anyone involved, but um, but just a horrible thing to have to go through. And. Anyway, someone definitely had one eye on Gwen because her co-host on The Voice, the country singer Blake Shelton, went through a divorce at pretty much the exact same time and the two of them then fell in love with each other and they are still together. So you know what? Love can come again sooner than you expect. No. So what are my lessons from Gwen Stefani? I mean, aside from just be a fucking rock star. The first is to be a dreamer. Uh, I spoke about it, you know, but a really, she comes across as just really sweet, but just like, she just really wanted these things that she imagined to exist and she created them. So definitely be a dreamer. The second is to be nice. She's very humble. You can kind of tell in interviews that she's just still just wants to make the things that she wants to make. And you don't get the feeling that she's she's got really kind of a bad a nasty side to her and i think that's so important um and if there's some episodes upcoming where i talk about this a little bit but i think sometimes you can kind of get the impression that you need to be like sassy or you need to be kind of cutthroat to survive in these worlds and i just don't think that's true your relationships are ultimately what will level you up so be nice uh, the third is to do what you think is cool, rather than what you think might be seen that way by others. I think Gwen Stefani has always done that. She's just always gone after what she's kind of liked, and this is, you know, just what she said on writing process. I read it to them, and I'd said to them. I said, "Look, I don't really care. Like, let's write the opposite. Then let's mm. write something super, like, super personal, and let's write something that's like." not commercial. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the whole time I was trying to write something not commercial, but that was just cause I was just being rebellious. You know what I mean? So, right. cause well, how do you write something commercial? Like you don't, you just write, you, just you know write. what I mean? Yeah. The fourth from Gwen Stefani and my final lesson is to keep making work. She's still releasing singles and she's still writing music when she's inspired, just trying different genres. I think she's trying country at the moment. Like if you feel inspired, just keep making stuff. Some of it will get picked up, some of it won't, but it's more about you can't predict what's going to be commercially successful and you can't predict when you're going to peak um, because that thing is outside of your control. But what's inside of your control is what you make and how long you keep making it for. So never feel like, you know, your time is up or it's time to pause. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I really hope you enjoy that breakdown. I absolutely loved doing the research on it because I just think she's incredible. And I hope listening to her music gives you a day an extra like zhuzh. Um, <laughs> and I will see you next week. Stay safe, everyone. What up, On the prize, is no surprise. Good women were destined to rise, inspiring, celebrating, uplifting the new generation. Some hot girls, we know the vibe. All the hot girls come alive. All the hot girls, we know the vibe. All my hot girls girls come alive.